Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I got to say, Lou Lamorello complaining about a contract that he just signed too long and for too much money. I understand that there's you know a bigger discussion to be had about the cap and the rules and how long should uh, teams actually should uh, be allowed to sign players for, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's so funny <laughs> that he just has like grumpy old man energy saying, this is what I have to do to sign a top six center for way too much. I don't think, I don't think this guy is worth that commitment or that much money. Islanders fans are definitely, they're dealing with some stuff right now, happy or sad, but uh, I appreciate Lou giving us the comedy for, to, to wrap up the weekend. I mean, in his grumpy old stubborn ways, he has been one of the ultimate chaos GMs in the NHL. Like when you go all the way back to the Kovalchuk contract. Oh God. Yeah. He handed out, what was it? Like thir- How many years was that? Like 15, 15 years, wasn't it? A hundred and <laughs> some odd million, uh, like hundred, 105 million or something like that. And like the last five years of the contract, his salary was like $12. <laughs> You've seen that meme before where it's like a picture of a utopia, like everything is peaceful, like modern, but serene, everything like that. It's like the the uh, teams that Lou Lamorello has managed, if he ever imposed as strict restrictions on beards as he did on his cap structure, <laughs> he, he doles it out, man. He's not afraid to pay players. He literally invented the thing that he was complaining about. He is the embodiment of don't hate the player, hate the game. He's not mad at Bo Horvat. He's mad at what he has to pay Bo Horvat. Isles fans, you're going to be going through it. I, I, I wish you the best because, yeah, Chaos Agent is right. All right, folks. Uh, All-Star Weekend is over. We are gearing up for Red Wings hockey to return. And with that, the Winged Wheel podcast is excited to talk about actually quite a bit this week uh, or this episode. So uh, to talk about all things Hockey Town, Red Wings Hockey, the world of the NHL, and more. I am one of your hosts of the Winged Wheel Podcast, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Evan's dealing with some pain today. You, you okay? No, I'm not. You have no idea how long it takes me to get out of my car now. <laughs> you, you drive like a normal size car. Yeah, it's so low to the ground, and that's how bad my hips hurt from bailing snowboarding yesterday. You that look- I like can't I have to like grip onto something and pull myself up. I still am floored that you aged the worst out of the three of us. You're an old man who does young man activities and. Yeah, that was uh, particularly avoidable this time. Um, and I'm paying the price dearly. My hot tub is getting some serious use right now. <laughs> Should stay out of the park when you're on the hills, maybe. Yeah, some of those little kids, they they they, they have jello for bones. <laughs> no, you don't anymore. I do not. You have jello for soft tissue now. Oh, Yeah. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, Evan's going to work uh, the best, uh, as hard as he can, to grit his teeth and, and work through the pain. Uh, we're going to be talking about All-Star Weekend for not too long, lest Brad's uh, eyes roll 720 degrees in his skull. Uh, Dylan Larkin at least made it fun for Red Wings fans on day two. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, the moves the Red Wings have made. Uh, players were sent down, called back up, conditioning stints, waved cleared, everything like that. So uh, the roster is taking shape for the post-All-Star break. Red Wings uh, will be talking about uh, what's going on in Grand Rapids. Notably, Jacob Verana has been heating up, and it looks like he is scoring like he is used to scoring, uh, at least recently, which is uh, notable. 
So that saga continues. Bo Horvat was extended, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, much to Lou Lamorello's dismay, but also because of him. So uh, eight years times $8.5 million. What does that mean for Dylan Larkin? Yes, I'm sorry, folks. We can make that connection and we're going to do it. Uh, and then whatever NHL news we can get into before overtime. Uh, before that, Winged Wheel podcast night slash day at the LCA, Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. More tickets are going to be added soon, folks, uh, Lower Bowl and uh, maybe some others as well. So stay tuned. There are still some Upper Bowl tickets available. Uh, what that event is, is a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, previous events have featured Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. Uh, we have special guests and some additional little surprises for you this uh, upcoming one, so stay tuned. Uh, there's merch, prizes, giveaways, there's Q&A, uh, meet and greet with these special guests, and less importantly, us, the hosts. And your tickets also get you access to the Red Wings game against the Penguins. So uh, we sit in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. We have the entire gondola, upper and lower bowl sections. Uh, your ticket has a special Winged Wheel podcast discount, and most importantly, a portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. Let's set a record for how many of these we can sell. It's for a good cost. The All-Star Game. Two days. Skills competition was, I think this was one of the to put it plainly, one of the roughest ones to watch that I've seen in a long time. I know Evan, you and I were, were following it pretty closely, and that was, uh, I think the NHL overthought it on that one. You know what? I didn't totally hate it. No? And the only thing that saved it is because they did the dunk tank thing. The dunk tank thing was good. I'm glad they at least tried something rather than just being like, well, this is what we have. Yeah. Like they have in almost every other year, and they just try to do the same thing that doesn't work so i'll say instead of you know pointing to the obvious that like what are we even doing (laughs) (laughs) there was some things i actually thought were pretty good um but yeah (laughs) i have never seen less try out of professional athletes in my entire life you know what it's funny because it was reported i think it was mark lazarus after who said that dylan larkin was a little uh, upset when someone accused of accused him of not trying for fastest skater, but it really looked like Andrei Svechnikov was the only one who tried. And honestly, can you blame the guys when they're all no buckets, like no lids, and the first person to go, Kale McCarr, who's supposed to be one of the best skaters in the league, wipes out. It's like, yeah, you, you know, they're professional athletes; they're going to wipe out. They're used to; they know how to skate without a helmet on, and they had the the cushions in the corners, so McCarr was okay. Someone made a joke, like they were actually joking. They're like, "Oh, Larkin." Uh, isn't going to give it his all when he doesn't have a, a contract. But can you imagine playing in a contract year for the biggest contract of your life and you take the fastest lap that you possibly can, you wipe out and something terrible happens because you don't have your helmet on? Like, unironically, yeah, I, I give those guys buckets. Give them buckets and tell them, like, hey, try. Like, we'll put extra padding up, whatever, you're going to be okay. Uh, wear your helmet, try to skate as fast as you they can. They need to incentivize it. Like, we'll give... X amount of money to the charity of your choice or whatever, yeah. to your charity, whatever. Because, you know, you're not going to incentivize those guys by giving them the money. No. Um, that clearly doesn't work, especially in the All-Star game. Um, maybe something like that could be done as well to, you know, maybe spur some some energy out of them. Winner gets a no-move clause added to their contract. <laughs> Ken Holland's like, all my players already have those. I don't really... 
The, sorry, doesn't work. And then all the Edmonton players, if they win, they get to leave Edmonton. <laughs> they get their no-move clause removed. <laughs> yeah, they immediately become unrestricted free agents. Connor McDavid skates a, a, an 11-second flat. <laughs> yeah, Larkin uh, Larkin didn't move on to the finals. Wasn't like a, a great lap from him. I will say, though, um, I've done like a fastest skater thing before, like the the full perimeter of the ice. It is not easy like you see them they're like why do they coast so much why aren't they doing like crossovers with the amount of speed they generate in a straight line like you have to be really careful if your skates are dull i don't think those guys got a warm-up either like you it is very easy to wipe probably out. spent all day out in the florida sun yeah like you have to make damn sure that you have the edges and you're warmed up and it's not like i i don't blame a car for for losing a step i don't blame anyone for for being hesitant um the whole thing, I think what they need to do with the skills competition, though, is go back to the old days. Really make a big deal out of hardest shot, the accuracy challenge, fastest skater, and yeah, breakaway relay, I guess. But like make it feel prestigious for the players. And what we've talked about quite a bit, and I, I know Jeff Merrick is a big champion for this, for the skills competition, bring in guys from around the league who actually do have, like I want to see Marty Furk at every hardest shot competition. Didn't Wasn't this the first year that all participants did not have a under or an over hundred mile an hour over hundred mile an hour shot recorded at some point in their career, in, or maybe this season. Regardless, like though the guys shoot hard, like Elias Pettersson won, and he was one of the few forwards in history who's done it and shot plenty hard. Uh, but I think, like, yeah, you pick the all stars and they play in the game. But you know, I like your idea from before, Brad. Bring in the average Joes. I think especially put them in net. There's no reason to have Shisterkin in net for the breakaway challenge, um, and then bring in players from across the Why league. Why didn't they just bring in David Ayers? Boom. What an idea. Yeah. Pay me, please. <laughs> They'll yep. pay you. You're participating in Fastest Skater next year. Oh, God. Yeah, right after, oh, a day after Jesus. snowboarding. Yeah. Oof. Anyways, it, it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to get too worked up about the All-Star game. It's just like, you know, their, their goalie tandem thing with like 17 different rules. That's the first one I turned on. I was like, what the actual hell is going on right now? They just overthought it. The crowd was confused. The commentators were, were confused. It's like, guys, just keep it simple. You you do three or four events. You let the best people at those events do it if they're in the all-star game or not. And we move on with our lives. Your 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 pop punk band of the year is going to play at... Some 41 or uh, some Green 40, Day. Green Day too... will play for the 10th time. But uh, I, I think... I, like, I'm with Evan on the, I, I appreciate that they tried something here. It didn't work, but I really do like the fact that they tried to think outside the box here. And I don't even think that's the wrong approach because I, th- I think the real answer here is in between what you guys are saying. I'm with Ryan on the lean into the hardest shot, lean into the fastest skater, really make it this prestigious, like special thing if you get it. Uh, bring in specialists, but like, don't have that serious feel to the event. Have yeah. the yeah, have, they try to yeah. yeah, you're so right. Like, they try to make it all like serious and like blah blah. Like, have no one is being serious except for the people trying to make it serious. Nobody should be serious until they step up to the line for fastest skater or whatever yeah. and have it. Because here's the one thing I will say. Because the one perspective I get on events like this, which is probably good because I'm generally the most pessimistic old man curmudgeon of the three of us. Yeah. And like the All-Star game to me is ridiculous. But 
watching Mika, especially who's six, really get into hockey now and start watching this stuff. She loves this kind of stuff when it's done properly. She was been, cause you know, on YouTube, the algorithm will always pump certain things. She's been watching all-star highlights on YouTube all week because that's, what's been coming up in the algorithm. And she loves it. The fun stuff in the NHL is for the kids. It's for the people who are in the building, play it up. It's not for me and it never will be for me. And I understand that, but I was even telling you like, you know how all old men, hockey men got mad when Jake Wallman, you know, did the gritty after he scored against Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Mika scored in her game yesterday and did the gritty up center ice and she couldn't stop talking about it all day. She's about to get roasted on coach's corner. That's right. (laughs) It's going to get lit up. So if they can take the skills individually seriously so that the, the guys like me at least have, a reason to see because I want to know who has the hardest shot in the NHL. I want to know who the fast skater. I don't care if it's, you know, Elias Pettersson or Ryan Pulak. Like, I just, I want to know. I find that fascinating. But have everything be colorful and weird and, you know, have guys mic'd up, cracking jokes, all that stuff. That is all good. And they had the right idea this time around. It was just really poorly executed. Why don't they, they should do uh, let Gritty come out and do a, a a shootout move, like have some have yeah. Pavel Datsuk in the Gritty costume comes oh, out, man. does the Datsuk, and everyone's like, oh my god, Gritty has the filthiest hands. Of Can all you time. imagine? Like, why, why do like? I feel like it's not rocket science, but here we are. the The game itself, and this is why I advocate for the selections are for the game because. Then people will say, oh, why Why would, uh, let's say not Datsuk, because Datsuk would never do it. He's so quiet, like reserved. But let's say Patty Kane. They'd say, oh, why would Patty Kane get to go to the All-Star game if he wasn't voted in? Because his hands are filthy. Yeah. So you separate the game from the skills competition. And to me, that solves that. Anyhow, the game was actually, I always like the games because it's like a scrimmage. I think the three-on-three is a good model. Um, you're not going to get back to the old days where guys used to try a little bit more. So this is at least a fun way to do it. And hey, like, does it? Ma- does any of this next part matter? No, absolutely not. Does not matter for Larkin's season. Does not matter for his contract. Does not matter for anything. But I have to say, seeing Dylan Larkin get five goals and an assist across his two like uh, uh, All Star scrimmages and and pretty much be some people are like he was snubbed for the uh, All Star MVP when Matthew Kachuk eventually won the new Honda. Uh, that was fun. I thought that was a really cool thing for, thing for Red Wings fans. It was cool to see Larkin lean into it, have some fun, and. The guys just mess around, and obviously, like no one's playing defense. The goalies are hardly trying, but you see some cool stuff. Yeah, Kucherov had that unreal sort of backhand tip that yeah. went bar down. That was really good. Um, Larkin said the highlight of All Star Weekend was playing with Mitch Marner, and everyone in Detroit, oh, Detroit clenched a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, Mitch Marner to Detroit. That's perfect. That's right. And you know what? While we're at it, let's bring Kucherov. May as well. Um, someone actually made a joke on Twitter, which I misread and I apologized to him, uh, after, cause I, I thought he was saying, uh, Kucherov and Marner's salary caps are too high, but what, the joke he actually made was Kucherov and Marner Atlantic division foes are actually just pumping up Dylan Larkin's contract numbers. And it's like, look, man, if there's any place I think Steve Arzeman is not concerned of. It's the statistics of Dylan Larkin at the all-star game. I would actually put a cool 50 bucks down the fact that Dylan or Steve Arzeman like would not know unless you told him right now. Larkin statistics. I'm not the taking that bet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cool for uh, cool for Larkin. I think he should have got the MVP. If you're going to score five goals, you should get it. But uh, I don't think he has a need for a new Honda. I think they're all okay. Yeah, they all get to 
split a million dollar check for being the winning team, the Atlantic Division. So good that makes that. it an, a good weekend. Yeah, that can shave a few dollars off Larkin's contract. Uh, you know, just balance it out, like when a player gets bought out. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that'll go real well in the negotiating room. Yeah. Listen, Dylan, we know you just got another, uh, you know, hundred grand or whatever it is. So our new offer is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could litigate what should be done and what was fun and what wasn't at the All-Star game forever. But uh, again, I made I have a, a thousand ideas. Just NHL. Pay Evan. Pay me. Yeah. Not too much though, because we want him to keep showing up here. I, I don't endorse that statement. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, continue. Uh, we're going to move on to um, some other moves. Why don't we start with, I guess, the big news, so to speak. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings waived Adam Ernie. So Philip Zadina, uh, over the last uh, week or so, was um, you know activated from his injured reserve and was sent down on a conditioning stint to Grand Rapids, which is common for when a player like Zadina is hurt for a long, long time. Uh, Zadina wasn't exactly thriving in the NHL before he got hurt, so it makes sense that he really needed to shake off the rust and get up to speed. Um Again, and he was out for a while. Uh, when a player is sent down to on a conditioning stint, they remain on the active roster. So what happened over the break was Berggren was sent down. It was just a paper move. Uh, it was just to create the roster spot. He is waiver exempt, which means he doesn't have to pass through waivers to be sent down, which means they had the roster spot to activate Zadina. But now that the Red Wings are playing again on Tuesday night at home against Edmonton, uh, 7.30 Eastern, they needed to find a uh, find a roster spot for Either Zadina or Ernie, like they needed to, because Berggren obviously is going to have his spot. So uh, Eisenman chose to waive Adam Ernie and he cleared waivers. Shocking. Um, yeah, I think his contract is probably the main reason he cleared. Adam Ernie's not special. A- Evan, before you start recording, probably said it best. Every team has four Adam Ernie's. They just don't make two point whatever million dollars like he does. Um. And as far as the Red Wings go, he was probably, and we've talked about it before, the most likely candidate to be waived to clear up a spot. Not that he's a bad player and not even that he was, you could argue, not the worst player on the Red Wings roster right now, but he's the lowest ceiling player. He's in his late 20s. We know what he is. He's okay defensively. He's okay on the penalty kill. Offensively, he He's not the worst fourth liner in the world, but he doesn't provide much there. I think his reputation is still riding that one like three week hot streak from two seasons ago. It was a hot streak. Oh, it was a hell of a heater, but he hasn't done anything near that since. Um, So, you know, could you argue that if Philip Sedina plays like he did before he got waived, is he better than I'm earning? Maybe, maybe not, but it's at least, you know, comparable. But the one thing you can't argue is Philip Zadina is a higher ceiling player. Whether or not he ever gets anywhere near that, uh, let's say we're pretty pessimistic about it, Yeah, but it's there. That isn't there for Adam Ernie. I'm going to throw some uh, chum in the water for those who are really, you know, they they think Zadina doesn't even have a high ceiling and that there's like a 0% chance that he ever reaches it. I, I personally disagree. I don't think I'm optimistic about Zadina, but I don't think the door is closed. Uh, I think there's more to him and he could be, you know, more than Adam Ernie, but it's not even just about what can this player be. Also consider Zadina signed for a, you know, very favorable cap hit for two more years, I believe it is. And uh, if you can even show a little bit more of uh, Philip Zadina to the rest of the NHL, then that is also worth something. So it's not even just about what the player can actually do. It's the perception of what uh, Philip Zadina can be. So 
Yeah, it makes sense in the back half of a season that's not trending towards playoffs. Adam Ernie, though not a bad player by any means, he's not going to make or break your team on any given night. Use that roster spot at least for a little bit just to try and see what Philip Zadina can do to come off injury. And this could be a case of, hey, we're not optimistic either, but we got to give the guy a fair chance. He's a signed roster player that we have. He only got 11 games. It could have just been a cold streak. We need to give him an opportunity to shake off the rust. And if he doesn't hang on to a roster spot, well, then we're going to wave him and just bring Adam Ernie back up. Could be there's a lot of movement that can happen, but um, I think even if you were the most pessimistic person about Philip Zudina, you can understand why this move happened. You could be the most pessimistic person about uh, a fan about Philip Zadina and the most optimistic about what Adam Ernie brings to the, the, the Red Wings. And you can still understand the logic behind this move. It, it's, I think there was, uh, uh, I was, I was even more surprised that Adam Ernie wasn't picked up by like a cup contender than I was about this. And I think that's just like, you know, like you said, Evan, so many teams have an Adam Ernie and no one wants to pick up a couple million dollars in cap for, for that. I Not a lot of teams are picking up a fourth liner from a bad team. No, no. Yeah, it's something, if you're being waived by a team in the Bedard lottery, you got to be. Is that us? Kind of. Got a little excited. Almost. Like, <laughs> technically speaking, just don't look at the actual percentages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't look at all that. Hey, you know what? The Red Wings didn't win it when they had a high percentage, so who cares? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Zadina returning, which is going to drive people nuts, but at the same time, like, what's next? He was, you know, quintessential Philip Zadina before, which was there were games where he was doing a lot of things right, and then when he got near the net, he just fell apart and there was games where he just was very clearly getting his own net in his in his own head, I should say, and was doing nothing right. So what's next for Phillips Zadina? What do you want to see from him? <laughs> what do you want to see from Phillips Zadina? Four goals a night, just low That'd bar. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. Ryan, let's start with a goal. Okay. It's got like a goal. Uh, he got one last night. He got one in, in Grand, Grand Rapids. Rapids. Yeah. It was was that the only game he played in Grand Rapids? Two games, one goal. Yeah. Okay. So there, that's a 41-goal pace in the NHL. So <laughs> It translate, translates one-to-one. Yeah. One. Traditionally, yeah. yeah. So how many games do the Red Wings have left? Like 30-ish, so we can pencil them in for about 15 goals then? Something like that. Cool. Uh, that's what I want to see. No, I, we know what we need to see from Phillips Zadina. Like, you know, I, I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter since his recall about Phillips Zadina, and a lot of it, much like the NHL and the All-Star game, is overthinking it. Philip Zadina needs a goal. Philip Zadina needs two goals. Philip Zadina needs three goals. He needs to score. We know what he can do away from the net. And over the course of his career, if you cut out the home plate area of the offensive zone and never put Philip Zadina in there and watch the rest of his game, he's been mostly good. Problem is, that's the most important area of the ice. Yeah. We know. We Especially know. Especially for his type of game. Yeah. So I have no requests, no expectations. No, uh, you know, unreasonable dreams about Philip Zadina in any other area of the ice. If he's what he has been this whole time in all that other area, I'm good. In that area, I need him to score a damn goal. It's literally that simple. I I'm not overthinking this. He needs to find ways to produce. End of statement. Good puck transporter. Someone asked the other day, like, what does Philip Zadina actually do well? And and I think it's easy to get mired in players with high expectations who don't produce, and so you, it's all doom and gloom. But no, Brad's right. When Zadina's playing well, good mover of the puck, and, uh, you know, 
generally can do up until the most important areas of the ice and generating offense uh, can do a lot of the right things. The problem is if you're pulling the floor out from your game, then you're, it's going to be nearly unplayable. But that's what's to look out for. Yeah, he just needs to to break through. So I, I have the same thing. I My expectations are low. My hopes are high. I think that's the way you have to go into it. Um, I don't think Zadina, Ernie, anyone kind of factoring in that bottom of the Red Wings roster or the, the fringe guy spots are going to be needle movers. Uh, the sky's the seal, the sky's the limit, but I mean, don't look up while he's playing. I'll say the, I'm happy that, well, I, I'm happy and unsurprised at the Red Wings. Like there's no sacrifice of Bear Grin's roster spot. Um, and frankly, like as guys get traded or if Zadina doesn't produce or whatever, it's not necessarily even going to be Ernie coming back up right away. It could be Soderblom. I don't think it's very likely. Let's talk about this next player here, but Jacob Vron is heating up. It could be him. Uh, Prashanth pulled together some stats. Uh, in his last seven games, uh, Jacob Vron has six goals and eight points uh, and averaging just under four shots on goal per game. So that's a lot more of a Jacob Vron stat line than what we saw when he first started in Grand Rapids. So that's a big, messy story. We know that. We've talked about that on this podcast. Um, I've gotten notes from a lot of people saying, why are you so pessimistic about Verona? You don't really need to look further beyond. Obviously, the 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 complicated nuance with him entering the player assistance program coming out of it, um, that's one thing. But the, he was waived. He was waived by Steve Eisman. Like that is not in a nothing thing. I know we there were uh, things that you could use to explain it. Like oh, Eisman knew he would clear. He wanted him to stay down longer, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, you waived a guy who's making over $5 million who's supposed to be your trigger man on your top line. Like That's not nothing. There are some deep concerns about Verona's game and what he's able to do long-term for the Red Wings, and that's on and off the ice. So uh, all of that has to be factored in. So I know people are clamoring to see Jacob Verona, and I think that's fine because he's playing great again. Uh, but that's why there's a lot of hesitance and trepidation and okay, he's scoring, but is that going to heal wounds kind of thing? And I don't think the Red Wings are going to make a knee-jerk reaction just because Verona's playing well at this moment. I think they need more time. They need consistency over a longer period of time before they really make a determination on what they're going to do with him. I will say I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be able to guess one way or the other if... Verona, it would be, let's say, called up if he was playing that well before the trade deadline because, you know, even if they don't think he has a future on the Red Wings, they would want to show him off to other teams. Um, or if this is something that's a longer-term project and they want to see if if things can be remedied and he eventually can make his way back on the roster because he has another year on his contract. I don't know. I, I It is a very murky situation. It's really hard to get definitive information. I think there's, because it's not, like, nothing's settled yet. What I'll go back to is what I've said previously. On top of all that complicated stuff that I said, goals have a way of fixing things. So, yeah, if he does keep scoring like this forever, if he does keep scoring like a top-end NHL he'll goal scorer... He'll force their hand, right? One way or another, he'll find his way back into a top league. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe there's some tr unexpected trades that come across at the trade deadline or before that the Red Wings weren't, you know, predicting. And it then just becomes a roster move, like, I think he's playing well enough or is now starting to demonstrate that he can play well enough to be in the NHL, but it might end up 
coming down to a roster thing. That yep. They have to bring them back. Yeah. There, there really are, I think every single outcome is on the table here. Um, the whole big qualifier I gave was even like the uncomfortable ones. I think there was a report out of Sweden, which I don't really know. I, I didn't see it talked about too much, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's true, which is that at one point it was explored um, about Verona going back to Sweden. Like that's not unheard of a player with a lot going on uh, in the NHL going to play overseas at, uh, uh, at a Columbus Texier. Yep. Same thing. Now, obviously not a one-to-one situation, but it's it's not unheard of. It's messy and you wouldn't like it, but I really do think every option is still open here. And I don't think the player or the team definitely knows how it's going to uh, play out. So all Verona can do at this point is score as much as he can, work to get his game back as consistently and as high-end as possible. And yeah, like you said, Evan, force the issue. Fun times. Elsewhere in Grand Rapids, uh, Edvinson and Soderblom showing well. Nice to see. I think it's uh, the Red Wings are in a good position. You know, let's say the trade deadline does go as maybe we've discussed. One of the possibilities was that they sell, sell, sell because they have buyers and they're able to find someone who will pay enough to justify moving Bertuzzi or whatever it might be. It's good to know that there are at least one or two guys down in the AHL who are very worthy of NHL spots. Yeah, that one sequence by Soderblom in last night's game was unreal. That was his puck in the offensive zone for, I'm sure it was only like 10, 15 seconds, but it felt like a minute and a half before he eventually worked it back to Edmondson, who made the backdoor pass to Verona for a goal. Uh, you know, if there was three guys you wanted to see connect on a play like that in Grand Rapids, it was those were the three. Yeah, um, And yeah, it, it's good to force the issue because we know Soderblom can play at the NHL level. We aren't sure what his ceiling is, but we know kind of how he has to play if he wants to be anything more than a fourth liner in the NHL. And that display and a lot of what he's been doing lately in Grand Rapids is what he needs to do to be a you know top six, top nine forward at the yeah. NHL level. Because especially on that one play alone, he showcased the fact that he's a million feet tall, but he can transport the puck around the offensive zone while using his size to gain speed, separation, be able to make the play. And I think he even fumbled the puck on one play and immediately was able to get it back. Um, and a lot of those things apply to Edvinson on the defensive side because, you know, the length, the skill, the range. And you know, the biggest concern with Edvinson in preseason was his pace was horrible uh, at a lot of times. And you know, he's never going to be that guy that plays with a ton of pace, but if he can play quick and smart, more so on the smart end of things, he could be a very effective player, and we're starting to see more of that. Yeah. Um, the 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 quickness, and, and I think for me especially, it's with the decision-making. Like, you don't have to move a million, a million miles an hour, but it's making the right move and making it quickly it makes all the difference. It's so funny, you know, uh, when we talk a lot about decision-making with the puck on your stick, and it's... With Edvinson, you want to see a little bit more. It, sometimes it feels like he holds on a half beat too long, which takes away his options. But a guy like Beargren, and it's it's different parts of the ice, so don't compare those guys. It's apples to oranges. But Beargren knows when to hold on for a half beat longer to open up more lanes for him. Um, that kind of, if you want an example of the way players think the game and when people talk about ho- hockey IQ, that's one of very many aspects, but definitely a very um, poignant one that, that stands out to me. So yeah, the Grand Rapids, uh, it's, Things are trending up a little bit more there. I know it's been a tough season for them, but uh, not just for Red Wings storylines, but for Griffins fans, it's it's been going a little bit better. So nice to see. And, you know, there's uh, 
there's a lot of very valid frustration about, you know, why is Jacob Vrana not on the Red Wings and fans, they're sitting, the most that they have is like weird half information from like podcasts like us or uh, uh, reports. And they're, you know, why isn't he on the roster? We want some transparency. At the very least, Griffins fans get some NHL talent down there. All right, Lou Lamorello was uh, very surprised to learn today that Lou Lamorello signed Bo Horvat to an eight-year, $8.5 million contract. Uh, obviously, they just recently acquired Bo Horvat uh, from the Vancouver Canucks. That is $8.5 million for eight years for a guy who's on pace for just shy of 52 goals over an 82-game season. For the first time in his career. Well, what are you trying to lose him? Actually, he signed the deal. It doesn't matter now. So first off, I... Initial thoughts on that deal for Bo Horvat and what that means for the Islanders because they got a lot of money tied up. But then more importantly, what does this do if you're Steve Eisman and Dylan Larkin? Well, there's, uh, as with everything, complications. Bo Horvat's on pace for over 50 goals this season. Bo Horvat's never cracked 40 in his career. He's ha- he's the Chris Kreider of the 22-23 season. Um, you know, he's always been a high 20s goal guy for most of his career is this con if he plays every year of this contract like he's playing this year it's an absolute steal or if he regresses and ages normally this is probably not optimal it feels on the high side but it's probably reasonable given the market and the position he plays the impact on the islanders is oh my god God, do they have to win a cup in like two or three years because this roster is going to get very old and very bad very fast. But we've talked about that at length before and I'm not going to do it again. What does this mean for Dylan Larkin? Oddly enough, I think this probably helps Iserman more than it helps Larkin because, again, Horvat's on pace for over 50 goals. You know who's not on pace for over 50 goals this year? Dylan Larkin. Overall, I'd say Larkin's a better player, but in contract negotiations, more often than not, stats matter a lot. And and Bo's blowing Dylan out of the water in that category this year. Uh, not blowing him out of the water, but he's he's winning that battle, that imaginary battle. I think this is a really good comparable, all 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 said and done. Um which helps nothing because this feels like this is probably right in the middle of where Larkin and Iserman have been negotiating. Yeah. So, you know, I I think it's a good comparable. I think it probably helps Iserman a little more. And, you know, because Larkin's agent's going to sit there going, yeah, this is an outlier year for him. And Iserman's going to go, my ass, he's on pace for 50 goals. That means something. So, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimately, it probably doesn't change much. I've heard, I saw arguments both ways, right? Because there's people who think Dylan Larkin is better than Bo Horvat. And I think, you know, all things considered, I would actually contend that that's probably fair. Yep. But if you're sitting there saying, mm, no, Ryan, I think Bo Horvat's a little bit better than Dylan Larkin. Um, he's on pace for 50 goals. And I don't know that Dylan Larkin, even with his position on Vancouver and on the power play with the guys he was playing with, could score 50. I'd say, yeah, okay, that's a fair argument. Like it, you'd have to sit there and hash that one out. I think no matter which way you cut it, those guys are in the same tier. Larkin has the age in his favor, but, uh, by what a year, they're not far off. So for me, yeah, I think it's a good comparable. I, I understand why some folks would say, yeah, Dylan Larkin would, would 
that's not a comparable for him, he would still be able to justify nine or something closer to the Barzell deal. But for me, when I saw eight and a half times eight show up, I thought, ooh, I can now picture for the first time Larkin coming in even a shade under eight and a half. I can see that that coming through. I think if you're Dylan Larkin's camp, what you want to do more than anything is hold out for even longer now in hopes that uh, Bo Horvat has a bad second half of the season and switching from Vancouver to Long Island. And then, you know, you're able to say, oh, I'm way better than that guy. Look, he barely scored in the second half. It was just a heater. Well, then they'll say, well, he's, he moved cities, moved to different teams. Like, don't be surprised if that happens to Dylan, if he goes to a new team in a new environment. Do you really want to upset your life and um, make your career go off track just to make some more money? See, the thing is, from an offensive standpoint, going from Vancouver to the Islanders is probably a, <laughs> a downgrade for Bo yeah. Horvat. For Dylan Larkin, going from the Detroit Red Wings to anywhere <laughs> is probably an offensive upgrade. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> people were saying mostly kidding, but some were saying seriously, oh, this whole Dylan Larkin thing would uh, at the All Star game raises his value. It doesn't. It, it, I, I Literally, assure, no one. I assure you, no one who's serious thinks that. What I do think is there must have been at least like a little glimmer, like 1% of Dylan Larkin taking passes from Nikita Kucherov and Mitch Marner saying, man. It's a, it's amazing what happens <laughs> when you have all-star level talent on your wings. He knows it's a scrimmage and like that's not like what life would be like for him every game with those guys. But for sure there has to be a small part of the players like Dylan Larkin coming from a rebuilding team and then playing with the all-stars of all-stars going, oh, God, it feels so good. It's going to be a come-down landing with uh, uh, the roster at home, and it's nothing against you know his line mates. Playing with Lucas Raymond is great. A lot of centers would love that. Uh, but, yeah, it's greener pastures, I'm sure, when you're at the all-star game in his position. Both sides are going to use the the comparables and the data to fit the narrative that they're trying to do for their their side. At the end of the day, they're going to have to come up with something and obviously negotiate what they think is right. And I mean, you can use anything to really, you know, help help out your what you're trying to prove. For me, it's like all this is doing, like the differences between Horvat and Larkin, not too, in terms of the value, it's not too substantial. The comparable contracts, like everything is zeroing in on a range. What it's showing up to uh, for me, uh, showing up as for me is, 8.25 to 8.75. Like that is the approximate range, like a half million dollar range. And, you know, if they were anywhere from uh, a million to a million and a half apart before, that half million dollar range just seems like the sweet spot of where they're going to land. So I would love if it came, obviously I would love if it came in at the lower end. As a Red Wings fan, you want as much cap space as possible. I would guess around eight and a half is where it's going to land, Bo Horvat's contract, but it's going to be used to fight for every single inch. Larkin said over the weekend, he said to Greg Wyshynski, um, you know, I, I want to remain a Red Wing. I've been clear from that from the start. He also did acknowledge that contracts have to be negotiated and it's taken longer than maybe he anticipated. Uh, Elliot Friedman reported on 32 Thoughts um, that, you know, it's still, it, it's still not, like, it's not there. It's not about to be done imminently as far as anyone knows. And that was a real, I think, my, in my mind, projection of, these guys are are not budging. And I think Eisenman is just not budging. So that range seems to be ultimately what's going to be where they land. I think they just need, well, I, I don't want to say for sure, but I imagine that the $9 million Barzell thing is just, that's going to be the hangout for Detroit. They don't think that that's, 
it's going to be closer to Horvat than Barzell. All right. That's the Larkin contract. Um, More again, to come next episode. <laughs> I would love for it to not. You know what? Hey, Steve, Dylan, uh, uh, your representative agents, your friends in the room at the negotiating table, if you want to get this done to make that the last time we talk about the Larkin contract, that would be A-OK with us. And do it preferably like three hours before we record the next episode. Wednesday at 2 p.m. would be That super. would be the sweet spot. Yeah, we are tempting fate right now. We are absolutely playing with fire. Shame on us for doing that. Sometimes you got to will those things into existence. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to have the uh, this the steel spine. Uh, okay, some NHL news. Did we have we talked about the the report that uh, viewership in the NHL is down for national broadcasts? Wasn't that on cable? Yeah, like uh, it, it's. I think it was more meant for the ESPN TNT games. Um, research suggested that it was down as much as twenty two percent this season. But revenues way up again. Yeah. Well, I think that you're getting more gate and the NHL is a gate driven league. So yeah, you're getting more people in the door. You're going to get more revenue. Um, I also understand viewership has more competition now than maybe it was a little bit more sheltered during the pandemic. So I think that's naturally going to factor into it. They couldn't make it any more difficult to uh, actually watch your team if you're in market and don't have cable. That's what drives me nuts. Everybody's starting to, everyone sails the high seas. There, I, I know I've been on a soapbox before. And as long as I am allowed to sit at this table on this podcast and you two both don't throttle me for just repeating the same things over and over, I'm going to continue to do it. Uh, the NHL really cannot get over its habit of stepping on its own feet or tripping over its own feet when it comes to letting people access the game. There are two priorities. If you are a league showcasing professional ice hockey, especially in, you know, your market that you need to thrive in is the United States of America. You need to make the game easy to watch and you need to get as many kids possible playing the game, plain and simple. Football, baseball, basketball, college football and basketball, NASCAR, all of it. Those are part of the, they are ingrained in the culture of America. They are ingrained in the culture. Everyone is going to tune in to, you know, basketball, baseball, football, whatever, because it is part of their day. It's part of the ethos of that population, that culture. Yeah, to varying degrees in different parts of America, it's a really wide, diverse country in terms of uh, the way the states uh, are and what they prefer. But those sports have an inherent leverage over hockey. So hockey has to work harder and they have to do things differently because they are not going to get, uh, they're not going to be able to compete otherwise. I don't even know if they necessarily need to work harder. Because I feel like the answer is somewhat simple. It's it's you make it your product easy to consume. Yeah, but I think that's hard because they're see they, they see that dollars being shaved off the top to do that, right? It's more lucrative for them to They're thinking now rather than the future. Exactly. Yeah. But if you make it so watching hockey, who ca- like whatever the broadcaster is, whether it's you know, a local Bally broadcaster, ESPN, TNT, whoever, you make it so lo- folks can log in. On one portal, pay you know a, a reasonable but fair price wherever they are in the world. Forget blackouts, and I understand there's there's actual legalities around that, and I'm just talking out of my ass here. I'm not in the room. Whatever you have to do to make it so the end user can log in, watch a game reliably, consistently, with good quality, without any barriers, guaranteed, guaranteed there is a non- uh, uh, insignificant chunk of the population who would watch hockey if it was easier for them. 
And, you know, if you're trying to get fringe people who might be interested in hockey, like they're not going to spend $200 for the NHL season pass if they don't have cable. Like why would they do that? You need to incentivize them some other way, you know, a la free games or, you know, maybe an a la carte option. Let's say you want to watch Toronto take on Boston because you've heard that that was once a crazy rivalry. Okay, it's 10 bucks to watch the game. You put in your credit card, 10 bucks, you get access to that game. Just, it, you know, it's not a great method doing it a la carte, but it might trigger someone to be interested in hockey. There's also things like, I, I know they're doing a little bit better with, you know, being online, utilizing reels and TikToks and things like that, finding where the that's kids are. Not for me, but yes. <laughs> but that, that's, you have to expose hockey that way. They need to make, like, they need, they need to amplify that to the nth degree. Connor McDavid plays in the, like he plays in a time zone where the majority of your paying customers, hopefully, are in bed by the time he's on the ice. Okay, that's unfortunate, but that's just the the, the luck of the draw. That's how it goes. You need to make it so everyone is able to see all of Connor McDavid. Shohei Otani plays in LA. Pump that guy's highlights everywhere everywhere like have a this is what Connor mcdavid did last night you know segment like there are a trillion different things the nhl can do they just need to make things easier to access and again the the thing that i mentioned at the start of this as many sticks and as many kids hands as possible ice time is expensive yeah maybe you can't fix that overnight road hockey doesn't matter yeah street hockey uh, floor hockey uh, doesn't field hockey doesn't matter get sticks and hands get them interested in the sport at a young age it's easy to pick up a basketball. It's easy to go kick a soccer ball. And so- like soccer in America is blowing up. Yeah. Uh, football is every, like high schools. Every high school will play football. So they have that uh, over hockey. You need to make it so the game is easier for kids to play. Yeah. And easy, watch. Easier to play. Easier for people to consume it. And you got to market your stars. Much better than what you're doing. Was that all a disproportionate reaction to one research uh, uh tidbit that suggested NHL viewership is down. Yeah, but it's something that I think passionate NHL fans can see what the NHL has to be doing to to do better here. And one of the major reasons viewership was down, and um, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say it was Sean Gentili who did the article about it. Most of the reason viewership was down wasn't because of the product. It was because instead of filling the competitive time slot on Sunday evenings up against Sunday night football like they do with like their fourth, five, sixth tier sports, they were putting hockey in those slots, NHL hockey in there, which as ratings go, if you're going up against Sunday night football, you're going to get crushed. And the not that it was, I don't know how much input the NHL had on that, but it was a thing that happened this year and that nuked. Uh, a lot of the national broadcast games that were. Well, how many Friday nights do you turn, look on whatever app you use to see what games are on? There's two games on or three games on. The the la- the poorly staggered schedules didn't help either. Like, yeah, uh, 14 games Tuesday night, two games Wednesday night. And oh, by the way, all 14 games on Tuesday night start at seven o'clock. So they're all hitting, hitting intermission at the exact same time. Once again, it's it's kind of like the all-star comp- conversation. It There's so many ideas to try and it feels like they could just do some of this to improve it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more complication behind the scenes than, uh, you know, just throwing out 
Oh, why don't you just make it five bucks to watch a game? <laughs> just, why you, don't you just do that? I don't know. Like the the millions of dollars in salary and marketing and, and logistics listening to three meatheads sit at <laughs> Yeah, like, I <laughs> mean, I'm sure they have thought about that a thousand times before it even entered my brain. Um, but they got to try something. Like, it's... Yeah. Just try something. Do a pilot. Do it for a month. Do it for half a season. Do it for just the playoffs. I don't know. Try something and see what the data tells you. If they pay, if they try the same formula as the leagues that are outpacing them, they will lose. It's guaranteed. I'm going to do another Formula One uh, thing here. There are sometimes cars that are worse on a weekend than another team. And if they put them and they're behind the other team, let's say Mercedes is behind Red Bull and Mercedes tries the exact same strategy that Red Bull's doing. Hits at the same time. Uh, you probably aren't going to win. Your only option is to mix it up and see if that makes a difference. What's the worst case? The same thing that was going to happen if you stayed the course. Yeah. You have to mix your strategy if you're not as good as your opponents. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Once I start pulling out Formula One references, that's probably a good time for us to cut to overtime. So uh, overtime is our segment where we take questions from fans, listeners, our Patreon supporters, uh, answer them, discuss them, and generally have a good time. Uh, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon, uh, the dub dub club membership, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, um, our patrons are the reason the show runs, why we're able to get up here and stand on our soapbox every episode, why we record through all-star break, have cool interviews like we had Elmer Soderblom recently and, uh, some more fun ones coming up. So, uh, there are a lot of benefits for them. They're entered into every single giveaway that we do automatically. We're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings game this season, uh, every Red Wings home game this season, and the majority of them are going to patrons. Uh, as well, you get access to the Winged Wheel podcast Discord and the Patreon-exclusive overtime episodes, which record right after this. So patreon.com slash podcast. Babe Landeskog says, who's on your Mount Rushmore for the Red Wings, for the Detroit Red Wings? Who's the Mount Rushmore? Well, Iserman, Lidstrom, Gordy. Those are the easy ones. Those are the easy ones. And then probably Ted Lindsay. I think it's got to be Ted Lindsay. Could make a very good case for Sachuk, Delvecchio, or Fedorov. Yep. I think I don't think you'd delve into the Datsuk Zetterberg territory there. No, I don't think so. I, I think it's got to be terrible, Ted. I think so. I think that, that feels like the right answer. Um, the gyms says, did you guys get the feeling Larkin was auditioning at the all-star game? It made me uncomfortable and maybe Eisman felt the same way. No, I, I don't think so. I think you just have to, you have to understand that these are like, this is the only time for these guys to, you know, meet with their peers, so to speak in terms of talent in a way that is never reproduced at the NHL level. Yeah. Guys talk and, you know, guys who are in precarious contract and trade situations, it's, it's not unheard of for them to talk to each other, but in general, Anyone who wants to see Dylan Larkin play, like they're just going to send pro scouts to Red Wings games. Um, no GM worth their weight is going to go to an all-star game and say, oh, you know, Larkin scored five goals. That means he's going to score five goals for us. It's, it's, it's not even, not even on the same, it's not even the same sport essentially that they're playing there. It's just a scrimmage. Simon says 27, uh, says, I hear about some players being uh, a cancer in the locker room. Does every NHL team have one or is it on a team-by-team basis? What determines who is a cancer in the room? Well, uh, when you hear about guys who are, you know, glue guys or great locker room guys, what they do is they're able to bring a group full of men 
doing their job, like grown men doing their job who aren't necessarily, you know, the same personalities, wouldn't necessarily be friends outside of work. They bring them together and they get them, get them to buy into a team. So who is considered, you know, a locker room problem? Guys who are disruptive to that. If you are any less than neutral to the team's, uh, the way the team comes together, it's pretty well known. Um, there are examples on a lot of teams. I don't say I don't think every team at all times has one. I think you can point to teams who are very clearly vibing. For example, the Boston Bruins. I would be shocked if they had one right now. They pride themselves on being a cohesive locker room, and that that's leadership does that. When Chara was there, he was a big part of it. Brad Marchand is a big part of it. Patrice Bergeron, a big part of it. Um, you want an example of a locker room cancer? Ultra talented really was not liked in the locker room Evander Kane with the Winnipeg Jets like if you ask all the Winnipeg Jets at the time where Evander Kane's clothes got tossed in the shower by Dustin Bufflin the majority of them would have sided with Bufflin he was not liked in that locker room yeah anybody who spent enough time around uh hockey minor hockey whatever for most of their lives without even describing it you you know you can picture that that player that kid in your head without anybody saying anything other than he's a problem. But for those who don't know, you know, every friend group has an asshole and it's not all that dissimilar in a hockey locker room. You know, the kid who thinks he's way better than he is. You know, if he doesn't get put on the power play, he he sulks, he moans, he bitches, he goes to his teammates. Why the hell is coach not putting me on the power play? I'm way better than this player. Like, and he's on the power play and, why am I only playing 15 minutes a game? It generally comes down to selfishness when, when you hear locker room cancer. Just, I deserve everything and you all need to get out of my way so I can get it. Now, that's obviously a really extreme way of explaining it, but that's essentially what it is. Um. All right. Let's take another one here. Travis Fisher says, why did we hear about Verona to Sweden for about an hour and then didn't hear anything about it again? Seems like it serves no purpose for trade value or getting him back to Detroit, both of which I'm okay with. Uh, again, it, it just harks back to what I talked about earlier. It's a big, complicated situation where concerns from both sides had everything to do with on-ice uh, factors as much as off-ice factors. Um, I do believe that option has probably been explored. Um, would not be shocked at all. Um, if it's still on the table even, but there's, we're, we're far from a resolution on this. I'll say that like, it's not really a clear situation in terms of what's going to happen next. Uh, soda stream future MVP says, all right, let's say that we're in a space jam scenario. Aliens have stolen the powers of the five greatest goalies of all time and created one super alien goalie. It's your job to select one red wing from any time in history to score a goal on them in a shootout. Just one chance and the fate of the world hangs in the balance. Who are you picking? It's a shootout. We're very specific. It's a shootout. Yeah. Okay. The answer here then is very easy. It's Sergei Fedorov, right? No. We're talking. Pavel Datsuk? It's Pavel Datsuk. Is uh, Pavel if Datsuk, it's shootout, yes. Yeah. If it, is Pavel Datsuk the greatest Red Wing of all time? No. But if this is a penalty shot, shootout, whatever, I would argue Pavel Datsuk's the greatest shootout shooter in the history of hockey he had How, some slumps he had some slumps because he's he tried shit like, yeah if you tell him like okay the best you got the we're not trying anything we're not experimenting the best move you have in your bag right now it's that 
I agree. I think Fedorov is a sneaky good answer there too. Fedorov's a really good answer. Um, the Red Wings probably have some like down the lineup guys. I mean, Franz Nielsen in his prime. Yeah, which is a such a funny answer because the 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 mucky end to Franz Nielsen's career was is so like opaque and so hard to see through because it's so shitty. But yeah. yeah, he was a at one point he was a. It's actually not Pavel Datsuk who's the best shootout shooter right now. Is Franz Nielsen? Yeah, he carried like a. 50% percentage for a while, which is absolutely batshit insane. Cause that suit probably was like, I would, I would venture a guess without looking at it somewhere in the 30% ish range, um, which still puts them in the upper tier, but yeah. And then you can't, you know, dismiss the just smart skills players. Like I think you could trust Steve Eisenman with, with that puck on his stick in that scenario. Um, 40.8 Pavel Datsuk. Okay. That, that feels about right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think the right answer is, is Pav. Uh, okay. Let's take some questions here from Reddit. Uh, Loop did says as the team and prospects cabinet is constructed now and assuming Larkin signs an eight year contract, do you see the team legitimately competing for a cup during Larkin's contract? I struggled to see us making a run like that minus a miracle run a la Vegas's inaugural season unless every high-end prospect hits their ceiling and one or two exceed it. Casper isn't going to be a game-breaker according to his projections, and I don't see any players in our system that can determine the outcome of a game. I understand that we can't let Larkin walk, and I don't want him to, but I do think that competing for a cup is more out of reach than some people may want to admit. Am I off base, or do we have to hope that Eisenman can land a top-tier talent? No, you're a 1,000% right. The Red Wings, as they have now, do not have a cup-contending team. You know, Carter Mazer, Marco Casper, Simon Edmondson can all hit their ceilings. They're still not a, a cup contending team. They could be a very, very good team. A You know, th- as they sit now, they should have the ability to construct 12 very good forwards, six very good defensemen, and, and you know, assuming Kosa pans out, a very good starting goalie. But they... S- severely lack the star power to compete with the upper tiers of the league. Um, you know, again, we, we've talked about this off season at length, but it could come next off season, two off seasons from now. It doesn't really matter when, but if we were to just look at this off season, if the Red Wings were somehow man- able to trade for Timo Meyer and sign David Pasternak, they're there. That's it. This is a cup contending organization, but they are at the very least one of those caliber players away in reality, probably two. I would contend that Meyer and Pasternak don't do it. I think they need another top end center. Oh, this is assuming Casper pins. I, I, this is Casper hitting a ceiling, which I think Casper being a, a really good number two C is very much in the cards for him. Yeah. Like let's say Casper doesn't have a cider like breakthrough of even the highest end projection. Cause that's what cider has done so far. Right. Uh, let's say Casper's, you know, one of the better projections for him is a better David, uh, um, better um, Gabe Landeskog. That is a fantastic outcome. Fantastic outcome. But that alone isn't enough. Yeah, I, I don't think you're off base, looped it, and it's, uh, I agree with you, Brad. It's uncomfortable. What has to be done here is player X, which is whoever the Red Wings draft in this upcoming draft, has to be way, way better than you know, a 13th overall pick usually is or whatever, the, wherever the Red Wings are going to draft slash have to hope to win the lottery. Um, and B, yeah, Eisenman has moves to make. He really does. And the moves of substance, like, yeah, you might be able to 
find a redemption project that uh, team gives you for cheap, but you can't fleece people forever. At some point, you're going to have to pay a high price to get a high-end player. Um, so what is that? Oof. If we could tell you we wouldn't do it for free, we'd probably bring it to Steve Eisman and make millions. But um, no, you're right. Moves do have to be made. Uh, Air Canoe says, hey guys, I just want to say thanks for all you do with the show. I fell off watching hockey a few years ago, but picked it back up again during the lockdown and found the show not long after. As a, as a fan of the Wings here in Scotland, it can be hard keeping up with all the news and games, especially when they start so late here. So the pod has been a huge help with following the team. I love all of our uh, listeners um, overseas in the UK, Sweden, uh, Australia obviously is a big contingent. Scotland has a, has a big contingent. I, I For those who have known me for a while, I, I love Scotland as a country. It's one of my favorite places I've been. So shout out to you. Hey, I'm second generation Scottish. Uh, I knew I liked something about you. <laughs> Uh, as we're coming out of the break, I don't have a super serious question, but I want to know if the Wings were guaranteed to win the Cup next year and you could pick any team for them to beat in the final, what would you uh, personally want that to be? Who would you personally want them to beat? My pick would probably be Chicago because FERC the Blackhawks. Well, it would have to be a Western Conference team, which eliminates my two my two favorite choices for this question. Toronto-Boston. Yes. Yep. Um, Tampa would be number three. Beating Colorado would be great. I was at Colorado and Chicago. Those were the two I was between. Chicago because, yeah, like screw Chicago, and Colorado because, A, that rivalry, and they're the reigning champs. If you beating the beating the reigning champ on the way to becoming the champ is a sweet feeling. The only problem is Colorado has a lot of players I really like, and they're a really fun team to watch. Yeah. I hate everything about the Hawks still. Like they have no redeeming qualities as an organization to me. So I think it would be them. Okay. All right. Uh, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Next episode, we'll actually have Red Wings hockey to talk about again. So we'll see how everything goes uh, with Ernie down in Grand Rapids, Zadina and Berggren up in Detroit. Uh, and the Red Wings coming, off, uh, coming out from an all-star break. Uh, we'll see how everything runs. Their first game against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. So off to a... Uh, a fun start to the back half of the season. We'd like to thank all of our listeners uh, of the show, new and old. Uh, if you want to support the show, uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast, make sure to check out DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP as more winged wheel podcast night slash day tickets at the LCA are added. Uh, all of our patrons, our name level supporters. Thank you so much. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah ground foundation, ache for armchair GM slash genius, Nick perks, Terry driver of the number 69, crying Ryan, Hannes, but slam a Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Aiden white, Keenan O'Donohue, Johnny burgers, meals on wheels, Matthew M rice, Croner's left knee, babe Landeskog, Carl Brittanen and Oluski, Chimmy, Chris P citizen high five, Connor Scobie, coyote season tickets and Tempe, Denny's gamer girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, give blood fight. Probert, red hot Ronick, Hassam al Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edlund, Nedelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciate About You, Tomato, Tomato, Potato, Potato, yeah, you win this one, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Am I a Patreon or a WWP producer? Who knows? Antonio Gracias, uh, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wellman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, Connor Layton, and Darren Fick, Philip Zadiznuts, Grand, Rap uh, Grand Rapids hockey guy, 
Griffey Boy, Heronix Handlebar. I can't tell if this next name is dirty or not. Fluffernutter. It's not. We looked it up. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rapsy, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Oophelia, Servo, Steven, the Hodag, and finally, my favorite patron, Matt Keeler. Thank you all so very much, and we will talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.